2 Chronicles verse 7, I mean, sorry, chapter 7, verse 11 to 15. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. And all that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. Lord, we thank you that you hear us, Lord. We thank you that your hand is on us, God. We thank you that you want good things for us, Lord. And in this new season that we approach, God, we ask that you would be ever-present in every part of our life, God. We ask, Lord, that you would work in and through us in ways that we couldn't even imagine, Lord. We ask that you'd work in this great city of Carpinteria, Lord, through all the churches that are here, God, that you would unite us as believers for the work that you want to do, God. So would you please open our hearts and our minds this morning? God, would you be my mouth, my mouthpiece, God? Would you anoint my lips, my mind, my heart, God? Would you be what I could never be? And speak to your people as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Some years ago, I resolved to pray about a, a lot of different things. It wasn't really a New Year's resolution, but it was an attempt to see God work in his faithfulness through prayer. I give, began to pray for my neighbors, my friends, my coworkers. Um, just pretty much everyone I could think of. I like kind of made lists about the people that were on my block, wrote their names down, just thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if God did something amazing just on my block? If God could just reach those people. You know, oftentimes we think about these grand schemes that we want God to do, that we want to see him do these really great things, but what would it look like if he just reached our family, if he just reached our neighbors, it's interesting that during that time, um, I especially was praying for my dad. My parents had divorced when I was a young child, and my dad and I really never saw eye to eye. You know, he, he was like a, my dad was a pretty macho Italian guy that was an engineer on the railroad for like 40 plus years, and I was kind of an impressionistic, artistic type, you know, so... We, we kind of would just be trying to figure each other out half the time. We were, I love my dad, but we were really different people. And I know that's, that's true for a lot of us, that we're really different people, but our families draw us together. During this time, my dad was in the beginning stages of the illness that would eventually take his life. And growing up in an Italian Catholic home, my dad served as an altar boy, kind of was one of those kids that grew up in the Catholic Church, did that, you know, had this form of religiosity. But he really wasn't a believer. 
He would never reject God. That was something that wasn't in him. He really believed in God. And I think he believed about Jesus. I just don't know that he had a relationship with Jesus. But he also felt like he really wasn't good enough to be accepted by Jesus. He'd done many things in his life that he wasn't very proud of, which is true for many of us. But there was a certain church in his community that he had a connection with. The pastor had been radically saved from a life of anger, gangs, and war. He was an ex-military guy, and I think my dad resonated with that because he was also a drill sergeant when he was younger. And this church would regularly have a New Year's Eve service every year. And one day, my dad called me up and said, hey, um, I'd like it for the entire family to come to church on New Year's Eve. I was like, what? My dad had never asked me to go to church in his life. Like, this was revolutionary for me. I just couldn't believe it. I replied, yeah, we would love to go with you. So I was determined to pray for that that upcoming night, just anticipating what God was going to do. And I was hoping that he would do something really radical in my dad's life and that his heart would be transformed and that um, God would really speak to him and be real to him. But unbeknownst to me, my dad had a motive. You see, it's funny because sometimes these are silly things that we do, but he somehow had the notion in his head that all he needed to do to be accepted by God if he died was to take communion. So he wanted a guarantee of eternity. He thought that, you know, when he did this and he took communion, that God would accept him and he would just be like a shoe into heaven. Like this was his ticket to heaven. Well, when we arrived at church that night, the pastor began explaining about the celebration that was going to take place that we would experience that night. Communion would be available to any believers who celebrate Jesus. Then he did something I'd never experienced before. It was kind of crazy. He gave an opportunity for unbelievers to come to Jesus for salvation before he ever even preached the word. We were like, what's going on right now? You know, he comes up, he's like, hey, we're going to celebrate tonight. This is a great night. You know, Jesus is here. The Holy Spirit's working. Um, But we're going to give communion. But if you haven't ever um, received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then I would ask you not to take communion. Well, that was not a good thing for my dad. Because his whole purpose was, I'm going to go take communion. I'm in with God. I just go back home. You know, I celebrate with my family and everything's cool. But that that did not happen. It's interesting that right at that moment, he decided to do an altar call. So he decided to ask people, if you're willing, if you want to receive Jesus, if you want to partake in communion, if you want these things, then you need to be a believer. So he gave an opportunity for people to come forward. And when that happened, right at that moment, um, this was a time when the Holy Spirit spoke directly to me. Have you ever had those times where you're like, whoa, God just told me something. He's telling me something exactly, distinctly for me. The Holy Spirit said, reach over, grab your dad's hand, and ask him if he goes to the front, if he'll go to the front with you. I was like, are you kidding me? No way. Like, I mean, you have to understand, like, our relationship, it was such that, like, you know, my dad, like, he didn't just grab his hand. He was, like, this very macho guy, you know? 
So I was like, no, no, are you really? And I, I do this often. I don't know how you guys are, but I do this often. Where the Holy Spirit asks me to do something, I'm, it, my first response is always, really? You really want me to do that? And then finally, at the end, I finally succumb to what he's saying and go, okay. Because I want to be obedient to the Lord, but like, sometimes you're caught off guard. So a second time, he asked me, take your dad's hand and ask him if he'll go to the front. I was like, okay, this is getting interesting. But um, finally, the third time I, I heard the Holy Spirit, take your dad's hand, ask him if he'll go to the front. Then he also said something that was really interesting. He said, if your dad goes forward, your whole family will go forward. I was like, oh, you caught my attention. This is interesting because he had invited our whole family, so we had all these relatives with us too. So finally I got up the nerve, all the nerve that I had, grabbed his hand. I'm like holding his hand. I'm like, Dad, do you want to go to the front? And he says, yes. I'm like, what? Like, literally, I lost it. I, I, like, just started crying. I couldn't even, I didn't even know where I was at anymore. Like, tears are coming down my face. You know that slobbery cry? Like, when there's just, oh, everything's coming out. You're just like, oh, man, I don't even know what to do. So I'm like, oh, dad, yeah. Walk up to the front with him. We pray, and my dad receives Jesus. It was unbelievable. Yeah, it was unbelievable. So I was completely overcome by joy, and I, I was standing there, and then I remembered the Holy Spirit said, if your dad goes forward, your whole family will. I turned around. My whole family was there. Like, it blew my mind. It was like, you know, it's like something you read in the Bible. You ever heard of that? <laughs> um, but it was unbelievable because, you know, you think God can do great things. He wants to do great things, but you don't think that that's going to happen to you, right? Like, you... That, that just seems so far-fetched that, you know, all these things would take place. The interesting thing is, is that my dad, his motive was to receive communion, but he actually received Jesus himself. My father had come for bread, but instead he was given the bread of life. His motive was what he could get from the church, but what he received was God himself. There are many things that we receive from God, but the goal should always be to receive God himself. And in this story of God's people that we're in right now in 2 Chronicles, there's always a temptation to make much out of the things that God gives. The relationship with God can often take a back seat. And in our text today, we're talking about the temple, So King David's desire was to build the temple. He wanted to do it, but God told him, no, you can't do it. You're a man of war. You're not going to be the one that does it, but your son will be the one that builds the temple. God confirms to David's son Solomon that the temple is God's gift to the people. Solomon had prayed for God to God for deliverance when calamity would come. So in previous chapters, Solomon had made this huge list. God, if if pestilence comes, if this comes, if that comes, will you be there? And so in this passage that we're in right now, God confirms that by saying that he would be there. He, you know, Solomon was afraid of the tragedies that could take place in life. And if you think about it, in your heart, we really all are. We know that we live in a broken world. 
We understand that things are going to happen. And in this passage, he says things will happen. But this is the thing. Even though those things happen, it's not the things that take place. It's who you're with at the time. Are you following Jesus? Are you relying on him to bring you through those calamities? Or are you just going through them? Because just going through them is really a scary place to be. God had confirmed the prayer Solomon had made in the temple dedication by his faithfulness. He gives the people confidence in him for deliverance from these things. See, the temple was to be the geographical center of worship. But as the people came into the temple, what they received was God's presence. Remember when Solomon prays and God's presence enters the temple? And it says that his presence was so great that the people couldn't even approach it. That grandeur, you know, that, that really seeing God for who he is, understanding the greatness of who he is, and I hate to say this, but the smallness of who we are. You know, the Bible says that we're just dirt. We think a lot of ourselves, though, don't we? But we're really just, we're small. But even in our smallness, God cares for us. He cares for everything that happens in our life. And it's no different in this temple setting. This was going to be the place that sin was atoned for. It's a place of sacrifice. But the real gift was the ability for the people to participate in a relationship with God. And as in any relationship, a relationship requires more than just one participant. Our text outlines both our responsibility, and God's response in worship. God's presence was at the center of the temple, but the center of our worship should always be God. Our responsibility, he talks about in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, he says, If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. So he's kind of given them a list. And, you know, it's easy for us to look at things like this and think, oh, yeah, list, you know, humble, pray. You know, you just go through that and you think mechanically that's what God's asking for. But all of these things demonstrate the priority of God in a believer. And once again, it's not a step-by-step process. It can be. And in, in a lot of ways, it makes sense that it would be. But it's all connected by demonstrating that God is bigger than we are and God's proper place in our lives. God is calling us to reprioritize him in our lives. And I know that many of us at this time of of the year, we're like thinking about, okay, it's a new year. Praise God. We're going to come up with all these different things that we feel like God's putting in our heart or things that we really want to do. But I wonder... Those of us that have made these lists, is the first thing on the list to reprioritize your relationship with God? Or is the first thing things that have to do with you? I don't know about you, but for me, when I thought about this, I was like, yeah, I want to see God work, but like, I have all this stuff that I want done, right? I want you to do this, God. Would you please do this? And that's not bad. It's not a bad thing. But 
When our relationship is focused on the priority of him first, all these other things become so much better. And, and they may or may not happen, right? We, we aren't guaranteed that any of them will happen. But to reprioritize, that's what God is asking of us. You know, his proper place in our lives is, is always the first place in our heart. His proper place is always the first thing in our heart. So our first priority should be, as the word says here in verse 14, to humble ourselves before God. Because, once again, when we recognize his greatness and our smallness, what are we to do but to humble ourselves before him? God requires the Israelites to humble themselves in this passage. He says, I'm greater than you. Many of you know that, that, that slogan that was invented in Hawaii, he is greater than I. I used to think that said hecky. Did anyone think that? I was like, what is hecky? But it's actually, he is greater than I. I don't know, whatever. Um, but it's, it's not about us. This is not about us. This is about him. Often we think that it's about us, but we're wrong. When we humble ourselves and say he is greater than we are, we realize his part in this is everything, but our part in this is also everything. Andrew Murray has a famous quote. He says, humiliation is the only ladder to glory in God's kingdom. Humility is the displacement of self by the enthronement of God. True humility comes when, in the light of God, we have seen ourselves to be nothing, have consented to part with and cast away self to let God be all. It's a crazy passage, isn't it? To let God be all. God loves us so much. He'll humble us when we need it. If, if we don't come before him humbled, he has a way of humbling us. We're so often unaware of our pride. I think that that's something that's common with everybody, is that we're like, oh, I'm not prideful. Yeah, you probably are, sorry. Um, I know I am. You can ask my wife, she'll tell you. Um, but God loves us so much that he'll go to any length to show us that. See, humility is when we see ourselves rightly in relationship to God and others. But humiliation comes when we think of ourselves too highly and get taken down a peg. What we want to pursue is humility. And if we don't, we need to be humbled. One weekend every year, um, Walt Disney had this thing in his will, and his wishes were that they carried out this proclamation of the gospel and what they call the candlelight procession. Any of you Disney geeks, if you haven't been there, you got to check it out. It's amazing. I'm a Disney geek, sorry. An orchestra that's made up of hundreds of high school students comes out. They do it right below the train station when you walk into Main Street. And it's just all these people, you know? It's incredible. And they sing these classic, or they play these and sing these classic Christmas songs, you know, like all the, all the good ones, let's just say that. <laughs> the good ones, the ones that talk about Jesus, you know, the ones that proclaim his goodness. And then they invite a special guest to come and to read the word from the Gospel of Luke. It's really beautiful. In fact, the first time that I went to it, I sat in the back by the fire station 
I'm listening to the gospel being proclaimed at Disneyland. I just wept. I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, we're in Disneyland, and they're proclaiming the gospel. Like, talk about the most magical place on earth. Like, that, that's even better, right? But at one point in the program, there was this little girl that came up to do a solo. And I turned to my daughter, and I kind of just playfully mimicked her voice. I, I wasn't meaning this, like, this was just me being like, ha-ha, you know, like, may, kind of just playing around with, with my daughter. And in front of me, the lady turned around and said, hey, that's a, that's a really hard thing to sing. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, it is. And she's like, uh, that's actually my niece up there singing. I was like, are you kidding me? Really? Your niece? I, I, I wanted to crawl in a hole. Like, I literally, I, I just wanted to disappear. You ever had that time when you're so embarrassed, you just want to like, like when I was a kid, I would do this. You, you lay on the floor and you're like, I'm not here. I'm not here. Like, I'm not really here. That's what I felt like. And I apologized profusely for the comment. And then I was completely be- hum- humbled by my behavior. But my first thought was, and this just shows like how prideful we can be. What are the odds that she would be standing right in front of me? Are you kidding? Like, there's thousands of people here. Why is she standing right in front of me when I'm doing this? But then my second thought was, why do I do things like that? Like, what, what is wrong with me? Like, why am I, you know? And, and it was all for fun, but, like, this wasn't funny to her. Like, it actually hurt her feelings that, you know, that I was making, you know, a little joke about it. My only recourse was to just say, please forgive me. I mean, I apologized to her over and over, and then I was like, Lord, please forgive me. I was humbled. God humbled me in a place that I was being prideful and wasn't even aware of it. That's the bad part. I wasn't even aware of it. To have a humble heart also prepares us to pray to God, right? Can you, I was thinking about this this morning. Have you ever gotten really angry at your spouse or a friend or whatever, and then you're like, I'm going to pray. Lord, dear Lord, you can't do it right? You, you cannot do it because you're in this kind of arrogant place where you just can't do it out of anger. Through prayer, we show our complete dependence and need for help from God. Through prayer, we also reach out just to be with God, to hear from him, to praise him for who he is, to give thanks for him in our life. God says if we're humble and pray, seek him and repent, his eyes will be open and his ears attentive in this place. That's in the temple he's talking about. That's in this place here, in this church building. Yeah, it's not a temple. We're not doing sacrifices, but we're here because this is a house of prayer. God has called it a house of prayer. I can't say enough about what prayer means to me and to this body. Those of you that have been here for a long time, you know that this place is founded on prayer. This place would not exist except for the prayers of the people. I've been here several times for almost every single church plant in this very auditorium 
praying for God to work beforehand to make a way for a new church plant that was going to happen in another city. That's a miracle. That doesn't just happen every day. God brings people together to ask him to do things that we could never do, to be things that we could never be. He wants us to come to him. If there's anything that we can make a resolution for this year, I would ask you and me and and anyone that is here, be prayerful. Come before the Lord. Seek him. Seek his face for what he wants to do. He wants to do great things in Carpinteria. I'm completely, 100% convinced that God wants to do great things here. He wants to build himself up in this city to show people how great he really is. God desires fellowship with us in prayer, in humbling ourselves, but especially when we seek him. He's the only answer. We seek a greater than ourselves. We seek one who is God. God's desire for us is that we would seek him, to search for him, to sincerely desire to find him. Jesus tells two parables about this. One, the treasure in the field. A man goes out, finds a treasure in a field. He covers it up. He he covers it up because he wants to come back and get it. He gets all his resources. He sells all that he has to get this treasure. The second is similar to it. There's a merchant of fine pearls. He finds one pearl of great value, and he sells all he has to buy it. Both of these, pe- both of these men, or, or whoever they were, people, probably men, were searching for something greater than themselves, something better than they had, something of greater beauty than they had ever seen. And they were willing to give everything up for it. Are we willing to give everything up for the greatest thing that ever happened to Carpinteria, to this world, which is Jesus coming as a man, showing us the greatness of God, revealing to us who he is. Seeking God is one of the most important things we can ever do in life, but finding him is the greatest. We truly find him and see him for who he really is. When we do, then we can hear from heaven. He hears the heart posture of his people. God's always listening to his people. He allows the Israelites to have a king when he himself was their king. He allowed Solomon to build the temple when the presence of God himself was among the people already in the tabernacle. He always hears our pleas to him. He even allows some of our desires to come to pass, even when he knows what he has for us is so much better. He always hears. And what he hears from our heart is what matters. What are we coming before him with? Are we giving everything to receive from him? that he will hear our heart. Finally, he forgives their sins. Sin is the barrier in our relationship to God. 
It's hard for a lot of people to hear. It was hard for me to hear when I was an unbeliever, to hear that my sin separates me from God. You don't want to think that. And God still loves us in our sin. That's the beauty. It's not like, oh, yeah, Nick, you know, you're doing this and this. So, like, I, I'm not there. No, he's there and he's waiting. The brokenness of relationships is usually always centered around sin. God's promise to forgive sins is always at the core of our problem. God is holy and he can't tolerate sin. He des- his desire is to forgive and his desire is for a right relationship with us. What God really wants is he wants to make a way for himself in your life. You see, we don't understand what we have. We don't always understand the beauty and the greatness and the, the enormity of forgiveness. Forgiveness is something deep and harder inside of our hearts that we yearn for, like we yearn for cold water in the parched summer heat of the desert. Like we yearn for a touch when we're alone for a long period of time. Like, we can all resonate with that, can't we? During COVID, just being separated, not really seeing people, you really realize how important fellowship is. We can't completely understand the way to sin until it's been removed. Like, when you're in it, you just don't see it. It's so interesting. Just like pride, sin hides itself. You think, I'm not that bad, really? Am I really, like, no, wait, I'm, I'm a good person. Like, everyone thinks that. That's a universal thing. Everyone thinks, like, at the core, I'm probably a pretty good person. For the believers that are with us today, remember the day that Jesus took all the sin off of your shoulders? Do you remember that day? Like, I could close my eyes and think about that. And I just remember this tremendous weight just being raised off of me. Just like, I can't even explain it, but like, I felt lighter. I felt different. You know, it's interesting that, you know, I've been reading um, in First Samuel about Saul. And it says that when God spoke to Saul, that he actually created in him a new man. And that's what he does in us. When he removes the sin... He creates new men and women. Jesus took all the weight of sin from our heart and soul. So remember the way that it felt, the freedom that you came into. We can't make light of the sin in our lives and our separation from God. It's always been the heart of God to repair our relationship with him. He always wants to make a way. God's interested in repairing every part of our lives. So in God's response, he says, if you will do these things, I will heal your land. What does that mean? Well, if you think about it in those terms, especially in this culture, an agrarian culture, the land represented every part of their lives. Provision, relationships, peace, fruitfulness, God hears, he forgives, and heals. His desire is just not just to have part of our lives. His desire 
is a relationship that includes every part of our lives. When he says that he's healing their land, this, this is what he's saying. I want to be part of everything that you are, everything that you do. He hears all our thoughts and desires. His desire is to forgive us. He ultimately wants to heal our land and every part of our existence. He intended us to live in a flourishing garden, a place of beauty and sustenance, a place where our relationship to him and each other was full of peace and love. He desires fruitfulness in all of our lives, in every aspect of our lives. But some of you might be thinking, does God really hear? I speak to him daily, and it seems like I'm talking to a wall. Some of you might be thinking, if God truly forgives, why do I constantly live with a sense of guilt and shame? Others of you might say, if God really brings healing or relationships, provision, peace, and fruitfulness, why am I living in this season of scarcity and barely getting by? How will God ever see the way I live, the way I feel, the struggle that I'm going through? He did it by becoming one of us. You see, Jesus fulfills it all. He tabernacled among the Israelites as a sign of what he was preparing to do. He instructed them to build the temple to show how much he desired to be with his people. But all of this pointed to the day when God would send his only begotten son to live among us. Not only to live in our world, but to give his life for ours so we can spend eternity in his presence with him. He then gave us the spirit to dwell in those who would call upon his name. We no longer go to a temple. The Holy Spirit lives within us. Think about this. We are walking temples of the Holy Spirit. We wanted a home for God. The Israelites wanted a home to make for God. But his plan was always to make his home in us. It's interesting that when David asked God if he could build the temple, God says, haven't I always been with you? I tabernacled with you everywhere. Remember the cloud? Remember the fire? Like, I've always been there. See, Jesus models faith. In all its simplicity, and all its complexity, Jesus models faith. Jesus fulfills our responsibility by becoming one of us and then living a humble, prayerful life, but without sin. He did everything that we couldn't do. He's completed everything. He fulfills God's part by giving us access to God. So he hears from heaven. He knows your thoughts. He knows your ways. He knows what's going on in your life, and he loves you. He is, Jesus is, the manifestation of God's presence. Jesus fulfills the part of the temple. We don't have to go to the temple. We go directly to Jesus. He's there for us. We don't have to go to a place. We go to a person. We get to go directly to Jesus because Jesus has fulfilled every single part every single part of the Old Testament and the New Testament. He is everything. The original promise was conditional. 
It said, if you will do this, then I will do that. Remember that in the passage? He says, if, then. Well, guess what? Jesus fulfills our responsibility, and he is also God's response. He asks us to enter into a relationship with him where his humility in becoming one of us becomes real. You see, we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He asks us to enter a relationship with him where we have full access to him by the cross. We have full access because it costs something. He gave everything. So is it wrong for him to ask us to give everything? He hears our prayers and he even prays for us. He intercedes for us. That, that really like blows me away. Jesus intercedes for me. Like little Nick, like living in Carpinteria, he intercedes for me. He cares about me. He asks us to enter a relationship where he is available to everyone who sincerely seeks him. You know, he doesn't just let you go and flounder. When you seek him, you will find him. When you seek him as the man that will look for the treasure, you will find him. When you seek him as a pearl of great price, you will find him. He doesn't hide himself. When you seek him, you will find him. He asks us to enter into a relationship with him where he takes our sin, our guilt, our shame. He takes it all upon himself. He's waiting for us. I know most of us here probably know Jesus. But it was interesting when um, Peter and Tammy Russell were here from Tanzania. Peter said something that really resonated with me. He said, our life is a series of times where we surrender everything to him. Peter said, you know, when I came back on my sabbatical, I thought, you know, I've, I've surrendered this stuff already. I've surrendered that stuff already. I even think of that to myself, like, yeah, I've surrendered a lot of things, you know? Like, I know that I know Jesus, but then there's always these little things in my heart that I just miss, just like, just like the pride thing, just like these other things. I just miss. I just miss it. He's waiting for us because he's the greatest reward that we could ever have. He alone is the most valuable thing in life. He is our great treasure. He's our exceedingly great reward. Lord, we just thank you that, Jesus, that you came. Thank you that you are a reward. Thank you that there's nothing in this life that we can do to gain your favor, to be better, to to try to make a way in and of ourselves to approach you, to reach heaven, to get something from you. But Lord, you make yourself just available. Thank you for your availability, Jesus. Thank you that you came and you gave everything. Thank you that you care about every single part of our life, from the smallest thing to the greatest thing. There's nothing too small 
or anything too great for you. Thank you that you continue to allow us to surrender things to you, Lord. That you don't pressure us. You don't shame us. You don't point things out. You're just so patient and loving, and you wait for us to surrender, God. So, Lord, we come before you right now, and we just surrender, God. We, We have, as Peter said, where else can we go? To whom else can we go? Jesus, you've done everything. Lord, would you please have your way in us in this new year? Would you please exalt yourself, God, and humble us? God, would you make a way for us to approach you regularly, God? Can we, Lord, would you please put it on our hearts to pray, to constantly pray, to seek your face? God, thank you for your availability. Jesus, thank you for accomplishing what we could never accomplish. And so we just ask, Lord, have your way in us in this new year. Be glorified in everything that we are, everything we do, everything that we have, all we possess for your glory in Jesus' name.